Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gitto Thwilin and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Barocco. Evening, boys. Good evening. Evening. Uh, well, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded the podcast, so we've got a few things to uh, catch up with. Plenty of Swans news uh, to discuss, including um, the future of Steve Cooper, potential new signings, and of course, um, the lovely new kit, which everybody seems to adore. Uh, but before we get to uh, any Swansea chat, we're just going to start off by looking back at the Euros, uh, which has now, of course, ended um, since Wales were knocked out um, the tournament is irrelevant from now on, uh, regardless of who wins it. Um, so we'll just discuss it as a whole now. Um, Steve, um, let's let's talk about Wales. Um, got through to the last 16, but then got knocked out by Denmark. How do you think this tournament is going to be remembered on the whole? Um, solid. We, we did a good job to get out of the group. Um, no one can sort of dispute that, really. I mean, especially when you look at we finished above Switzerland, who... You know, did very well against France the other night and obviously knocked them out. Um, but I think it's hard not to be disappointed by the way that we played against Denmark, if I'm honest. I mean, we were just really poor after those first 10 to 15 minutes. I think that we did come up against a good side. I wouldn't dispute that. But I just felt from the moment, really, that they made that little switch with Christiansen and moved him a little bit further up to stop us from playing. We just looked completely out of our depth. and it, it, it was really disappointing because I did feel it was a chance, a, a game that we had a chance of, of progressing from, but in the end, we got absolutely battered. There's no other way of describing it. I do think that the ref should be looked at, not in terms of the fact that he's cost us a place, but I think in general, he had a poor game as well. But, you know, we, we can only blame ourselves. Some of the goals we give away, especially, you know, the, the Nico Williams clearance for the second goal, for example, was shocking. So, you know, it's, it, it is disappointing really, but, at the end of the day, you can't say we've had a bad tournament because we did get out of what was a difficult group. So, you know, it's pleasing on in, in that front. But like I said, it's just never nice to, to take a batter in as if. No, definitely not. I mean, Matt, I think everybody was um, very positive after the group stage, you know, getting out of the group. Um, the win against Turkey was obviously amazing. Um, finishing second. Um, but... But do you think the nature of the defeat to Denmark has kind of clouded the whole thing slightly? Yeah, I think so, because I don't think we anyone was defeatist going into the Denmark game. But on reflection, maybe we we were brought down to earth with a bang um, because uh, I thought, OK, of the of the three realistic options of going of who we were going to play against, you know, Denmark were probably going to be the toughest. But at the same time. Um, I thought it was a winnable game. I I did, and um, we just weren't at the races at all. I didn't feel like we could have, you know, seriously hurt them. Yeah, a couple of decisions went against us, and and I and I get that. But our our performance was just, um, you know, after about whatever the 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 fifteenth minute or so, and I just felt like. They got they got a stranglehold in the game. The first goal knocked the stuffing out of us, and we maybe then tried to um, force the issue, perhaps, and 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 come unstuck because um, they were better at, at at everything in the day, and it was really disappointing. Um, and it's hard to because when we got through the group, people were talking. Maybe we're looking at another Euro two thousand and sixteen. It's hard not to get caught up in the in the moment. But we only actually won one game in this tournament. 
do you think we went to overboard after? Because I'll be honest, I didn't get caught up in that really. I, I was pretty chuffed just to get out, out to the group. And I was like you, I, I was a lot less confident once we drew Denmark rather than Russia or Finland. Um, but, but I mean, I mean did, did we kind of, were we still living in 2016 and kind of got, got caught carried away with, with the dreams of a repeat of, um, of things like Lille again, do you think? Yeah, because I think I think the Turkey game was excellent. I thought we create we should have scored more. Um, it was probably the closest thing to the to the to the Russia game from the last Euros, where we just it was a complete team performance in that game. And yeah, I do think there was a moment there where you thought, and you had the pundit saying it as well that Wales keep an eye out wait for Wales because they've got a team spirit that's unrivaled and it takes them places. And we do, I get that. We do have this great team spirit, this unity, which the sum of our parts is 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 not as the team unit is more important to us. And um and I and I and I think once you get through the group and it's you 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 know you're into the knockout football then. We knew obviously going into the Italy game that it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of jeopardy on the game, and it was just a case of you know where we would finish. Um but it was just great to feel like, well, anything can happen. These are the three teams we could get. So before we knew we were going to have De- Denmark, we had that day in between where we thought, well, who knows? You know, we, we who's, who, who are we going to get, whatever. And um, it just felt a little bit like we got a bit ahead of ourselves. And we maybe thought then we could have done more than we actually really could have done. I thought at that point then, um, what we'd actually seen on the pitch was one good performance, one comfortable defeat and one that should have been a defeat. <laughs> and that's the reality of it. And uh, it's the wildest thing is everyone tipped Turkey to be, uh, uh, you know, you know the wild card, the, the one everyone should watch out for. So, you know, we were all made to look like fools at the end of the day. Yeah, that was, that, it was weird that people when people started calling them dark horses for the tournament, that was a bit weird. But I did expect a lot more from Turkey than what they actually gave. Um I mean, yeah, I, I think you said it all, really, boys. I think it, it it's a successful tournament just on the basis that we've left the, got out to a group stage, which included, you know, three three teams in the top thirty um, of the FIFA rankings. You know, and and Switzerland and Italy are obviously very good teams, even if Turkey didn't um, didn't turn up. But um, even though I think the tournament as a whole has to be regarded as a success in the circumstances. I, I the way we went out to Denmark was was really disappointing, wasn't it? Um, the the scoreline and the the nature of of the performance, I just felt like we lost our heads. Really, um, the occasion just looked like way too much for too many of our players, and um, even experienced players just just lost their heads and lost their cool. And um, yeah, made if if we just lost two nil to Denmark, I I just said that is a respectable scoreline. We've lost two nil to a very good team there, a team which you know you would expect to beat Wales more more most games. Uh, I think it's fair to say they you know beat us quite convincingly two years ago in the Nations League. Um, but you know to lose four nil in in any game is um, isn't great, and um, I think yeah I think it's fair to say that we we crumbled under the pressure really in that match and. Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a nice experience watching that. I think it's fair to say. Um, I mean, Steve, looking back at the performances over the four games, who were the players or the areas of the team then for you which stood out in a positive way, and and the one the areas where 
we we probably need to to look at improving over the coming uh, over the coming years as we um, well look to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar and um, and look ahead, I guess, to to the post Bale and Ramsey era. So Danny Ward did really well. I wasn't really sure if he should be the number one or if it should be Hennessy. I thought it was a, a close run thing, but I've got to say that he really did excel. So that's a big plus point. I thought Kiefer Moore did really well. Um, and he proved why he should be in the team. I think, uh, you know, I, I was actually a little bit surprised that he, he played as much as he did because in the warm-up games he didn't. So, um, yeah, that, that was good. I mean, obviously, there were, there were moments from Bale and Ramsey. I mean, particularly the, the Ramsey goal against Turkey. I mean, that was sublime. don't think Bale was at his best in general. Um, there were Again, there were some moments from him, but not amazing. I think I was a little bit concerned about Joe Allen, really. I, I didn't think he maybe shone in the way that we would have liked. I know he's, Absolutely. Had, of, I know he's had a lot of injury issues, hasn't he? So maybe, I don't know, he's, he's taken a bit of time to get up to speed, but... I mean, I do look at that midfield and it does worry me a little bit. Um, yeah. Like for the longer term future, I think Joe Morell came in and did well, but we're asking a player who's, who's not really played a lot of football to come in and don't really see many players coming through. There's obviously Ampadu, um, but he didn't get a lot of minutes, did he? Um, yeah, I thought, I thought Dan James had a few decent moments, but maybe wasn't amazing of um, in, in every game. Um yeah, it's. I think we, you know, to be fair, we do have some reasonable depth now. But I do look at that centre midfield area, and that is a bit of a weakness, or it's going to become a weakness. I think. So I'm hoping we are going to see one or two players come through there, really, because I think you know, especially where I think if we're honest, we're likely to lose Bale, Ramsey, and Allen all around the same time. I mean, I can. I know people are talking about the maybe the last of the World Cup. I'm pretty sure of that. But I think with the next Euros only being three years away, I'm pretty sure that the three of them will still be around for that and will probably retire at the same time after that tournament. So I think we're we're okay for now, but we definitely are lacking a little bit in that centre midfield area. And I think that is going to be an area for concern really um, over the near future. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. I thought I thought we struggled in midfield in pretty much a, in every game apart from Turkey, where you know the Turks were just so open. I mean, you 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 couldn't. You, they gave us gifted us so much space in midfield that um, it would have been ridiculous if we hadn't um, performed well in that match. But yeah, I, I you know I think John Morales had a good tournament, um, considering you know that he barely played for Luton over the um, over the season. I think he's come in and sort of established himself now as. Um, as as the the number one start uh, midfielder probably, but I I still, you know, think he struggled in quite a few games. I th- I, I agree one hundred percent with you on Allen. I thought Allen looked like the injury had taken its toll on him. Um, the, his it was as if you know his brain was still working as as sharply as as usual, but just his body couldn't keep up. Um. Which um, which was the concern really? Um, just looked like he wasn't really that that the Joe Allen of old, unfortunately. And um, we we've always relied so heavily on him in midfield, like ridiculously. So um, when he's not um, fully fit and and on his game, then obviously it's going to have a, an impact on our game. I f- I felt sorry for Ampadu. I'll be honest, because he. I think probably wasn't match fit going into the Euros. You know, the the match against Albania in the warm up, he he didn't look um, up to speed really, um, and that was after a disappointing season with with Sheffield United. 
um, albeit one where apparently he was much better in the second half of the season. Um, but, um, you know, I think for the last few years, we've been looking at Ampadu and thinking, oh, yeah, he'll, he'll be ready for the Euros. He'll be ready to really explode when, when it comes to Euro 2020. And just things haven't quite gone his way. And, and the pre- the build-up to the tournament didn't really go his way. And then, of course, he had the red card in against Italy and didn't get his chance. And I'd have liked to have seen him play against Denmark had he not been suspended, unfortunately. But but that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, I think we've got a, a few kind of raw materials to work with in midfield but but it does need quite a quite a bit of work and that's the main area I think that we need to look at going forward but just in general I think we saw a lot of players in this tournament who you know the likes of Bale, Ramsey, Allen who have been so important but maybe could just can't quite hit those heights anymore uh, at least not so sort of game after game after game the way they they used to be able to do and then we have a lot of players who are coming through and have a lot of potential, but they're still developing and they probably weren't ready for this tournament quite yet um, to have that real big hit that they were looking for. Um, so I guess the next few years are just about kind of bridging the gap between those two generations and trying to uh, put the jigsaw pieces together to make a, 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 an effective team that can compete against teams like Denmark, I guess. Um Matt, the managerial question. We won't get in, into the Ryan Giggs issue because obviously there's there's all sorts of legal ramifications involved there. Um, but, I mean, Rob Page is the man in the job at the moment. Um, would you like to see him keep the job um, on a longer-term basis? Or do you think um, we, we should be looking for somebody else either you know, gigs if, um, you know, things, depending on how things turn out with his legal case or or look for somebody else to with maybe a bit more experience at um, at a higher level than Paige. Yeah, um, I'd like Paige to stay involved because I think, you know, he's obviously well-liked and um, well-respected in the camp and stuff. And, and that's and that's great. Um, and, you know, yeah, he did, I know people, you know, quite rightly pointed out some of his deficiencies, particularly in the Denmark game and stuff, and how he didn't react to Denmark's change of shape. But on the whole, I thought, you know, he orchestrated and, and, and oversaw um, a positive tournament. Like like you said earlier, getting out to the group was was the challenge, and it was the challenge that we achieved. Um, and there was, you know, things weren't... No one was calling for Paige to be... To, to be got rid of before the Denmark game, but yeah, I think we can. I think we can look now, look now and see what's out there and see if we can do better. Keep Page involved. Um, you know my feelings on gigs. Legal case aside, I'm not a fan of him as a manager, as a as a person or anything like that. Um, you know, he's just he's just not my cup of tea whatsoever. And um, you know, I think he's got all the charisma of a spoon beside anything else. So. I just really am not enamoured by the idea. I think when you go from Gary Speed, who was who who really brought in uh, a style and and gave us give us a, a almost a, a platform where you just were really proud to to follow this Welsh team again and and follow them into battle and everyone wanted to to be involved and 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 to play and and to really and he brought on that next kind of feel good factor. Then, then Chris Coleman, who literally encapsulated, despite being, you know, a massive Swans fan and 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 being unashamedly so, 
en- encapsulated the passion and the belief of the whole nation. And 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 Cardiff fans were, were you know, were even a, a big su- in big support of him as manager because of what he did. You know, it's together stronger thing. That's where that was born and bred, and that's where you really felt that Wales fans, like in Euro 2016, could mingle with one another, club rivalries aside, it really felt like we were one nation and one team. Um, so that was all great. And then I don't ever think we'll ever feel it under gigs. Um, so I would like us to move and try and get that feeling back of um, of really, you know, feeling that immense pride and joy about, you know, everything that Will stands for, because a little bit of the old stuff has, has crept back in over the last couple of years. And it's it's really annoying because, um, well, how good it was in France. Yeah, absolutely. And um, let's look uh, a little bit at the, um, the tournament uh, in a wider context. I mean, Wales are now out. Steve, um, who do you want to win the tournament and who do you think is going to win the tournament? Uh, who do I want to win? I am not overly picky. I'm just desperate that England are not the team that win it. Basically, um, suppose if you push me, I'd quite like Belgium to win it. They're uh, a nation that have never really won anything, and they're probably coming up towards the last chance for this team now, because you know a lot of them are, are getting on a bit. They've, I know the likes of Lukaku and De Bruyne are still at their peak, but defensively, especially, I mean, those players now are well into their thirties, so they, they if they're going to win something, it probably needs to be now. So, yeah, I, I think it's been quite a good tournament actually. I mean, we've seen you know in the knockouts, especially, we've seen a few shocks, haven't we? we Nobody expected France to go out at this stage. I mean, with the squad they've got, it's it's incredible that they've gone out to Switzerland. Um, you know, the Czechs beating the Dutch, I think that was a little bit of a surprise, although maybe not the type of surprise that maybe it was, it was being billed as, because I don't think Holland or the Netherlands, I should say, are, are maybe as good as they once were. And I, I, when Wales played the Czechs, I thought they were, were a good side. So, yeah, that was um, that was good as well. I, I, I think there's been a lot of... Um, of good games, actually. I've I've enjoyed the tournament um, so far. Obviously, it's it's been disappointing that we haven't been able to go. But um, yeah, I certainly think it's been uh, entertaining. And if you look at Monday night, especially where we had the the Switzerland France game and Spain and Croatia, we were truly spoiled, really, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, it, it has kicked up a notch, hasn't it, in the uh, knockout stages. I thought the group stages were maybe a little bit flat at times. Maybe too many teams going through, and it, it was just a bit too easy for for most teams to to get through to the next uh, round not enough jeopardy i think is the word people have used but yeah the knockout stages have just been fantastic so far absolutely amazing um what about you matt uh who are you back in and uh who do you genuinely think is going to win it um I, I echo a lot of what steve said to be honest with you uh you have to say that um england have a path certainly through to the final but Remind you of the last Euros when they also had somewhat of a path and they were delighted that they'd not won the group because it meant that they had an easier path to the final and then obviously got embarrassed um, against Little Iceland. Uh, so it's by no means a done deal with that. And, um, you know, there's always a sense of there being a bottle in there somewhere. Um, although, you know, you look at the way that they're winning games and... Um, you know they they're keeping clean sheets, aren't they? And uh, and so you'd have to say, despite it being quite cautious and and that, that they're um, they're getting the job done. Um, who I'd like to win would be 
I think I, I agree with Steve. I'd like Belgium to win. It it's it does feel like time is running out for that golden generation. They're such a small country. I can't imagine any time in our lifetime again are they going to be able to produce so many superstars at the same time. Um, so this feels like one of their last chances to do it. Um, and and yeah, they, they they've got a really good chance. Um, you can never rule out someone like Spain, but I've not been impressed with them, um, generally speaking. And um, and and yeah, so I I think. I think it may be it may be Belgium and an absolutely worst case scenario is um I'll just delete all my social media accounts if uh, the other team win. It's not gonna happen, is it? It's not it can't happen. It can't I would happen. say to Steve I said to Steve the other day, you know, we were talking about their path to the final at Wembley and and, and Steve said if he could guarantee they'd lose, he'd take that now at a final. And I thought, if you could guarantee they'd lose, I'd take that before a single ball was kicked. Because if you watch them lose in a final, can you imagine how much they've talked about the Euros of years gone by where they got knocked out in the semis and the quarters and whatnot, and they bang on about it. Imagine they lost in a final? Oh, unbelievable. It would be unbelievable. I would dine on that for 25 years. (laughs) I, I... I'm not as convinced as others that they are going to make the final. I think Denmark are going to give them a stiff test in the semis. I de- Denmark are a really good team. I'm, I, I, I think they are dark horses to reach the final. And I, I, I think Denmark have performed better against Russia and and Wales than than England have against anybody else in this tournament. So. I know England are going to be at home for that match. I mean, let, I think we can write off the quarterfinals. Ukraine look absolutely dead on their feet by the by the end of their game against uh, Sweden. Add the injuries, etc. They're not going to cause England any problems. But that um, that semi final against Denmark could be interesting. And then probably one of what Belgium or Italy probably in the final. You'd, you'd think, um, yeah, I'd, I'd still say the odds. A slightly against England to do it. I I think, it, well, I put a bet on Italy, so I'm hoping it's them that wins it. But Belgium too are looking very strong. Um, but yeah, it's it's an open tournament, and um, anything can happen as we've already seen. Um, let's uh, leave the international scene and go back to uh, club action, where um, the first thing we need to discuss is the future of our manager. Um, to, basically, there isn't that much to discuss after quite a lot of. Um, uh, internet rumours over the past month or so. Um, it seems as though Steve Cooper is going to be staying. Uh, the two jobs that he was being uh, hotly linked to were uh, Crystal Palace and Fulham. Uh, Crystal Palace have um, found a replacement for Roy Hodgson in Patrick Vieira. Uh, very interesting to see how that goes. He didn't really do brilliantly in uh, uh, in his jo- last job at Nice. Um and that's not the easiest of jobs at Palace either. So um, that'll be very interesting. And the other one is um, the strange case of Fulham, where Scott Parker's left to go to Bournemouth. Not sure what's what's gone on there. Um, but they look likely now to sign Marco Silva, which is um, uh, a very interesting one from their point of view. Um, quite a, quite an ambitious signing, I would say. Um, but Steve, the long and short of it is that uh, in all likelihood, Steve Cooper is going to be staying with the Swans. Um, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, I, I think you're right now. I, I can't really see him going anywhere. I don't think there's any other openings, really. Um, so I think it would have been best for everybody if he had moved on, if I'm honest. I mean, 
I think we were a bit lucky last season. I, I don't think the football was very good. And I think that was the, the big chance to go up, really. Um, and obviously, we, we didn't manage to do it. And it just feels to me a bit now like we need this like longer-term plan of of rebuilding. And what, what I, the, the big issue I've got with Steve Cooper is the cyber play. I mean, it's, it is terrible. Like we were, the amount of games I enjoyed last year, they were, they were not a great deal of them. And I honestly think as we hopefully now return to some normality with normal crowds and everything quite soon, I just don't think the fan base are going to tolerate what we saw last season. And if we do, they're going to be letting him know. I think he got away with a lot because there was no fans. So, yeah, I I think it would have been best for everybody if, if he had moved on. He's done a good job, obviously, two playoffs, and not to be sniffed at. But I don't think that's going to continue. And I honestly think if you carry on playing the way that we do, he's going to uh, find himself out of a job. And I, I think, honestly, the club were happy to, for him to go because... You would think after a manager has taken us into a playoffs um, two years running, especially on a low budget, that they'd be putting out a statement saying, look, we're really happy with what he's done. We want him to sign a new contract, etc." There's been silence. And also Cooper himself hasn't said anything. And you'd think he'd be saying, look, look at the job I've done here. I mean, I want to extend the relationship. I want a new contract and all this type of thing. Again, they've both been silent. So it's, it feels a bit like it, there's an uneasy relationship there at the moment. And um yeah, I'm I'm not convinced that uh, Cooper is going to see the season out, if I'm honest. But uh, I suppose time will tell on that one. I mean, Matt, what what Steve was saying there isn't doesn't that suggest you know when he's saying oh that fans wouldn't have stood for what 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 went on last season, etc. Isn't that suggesting that we're all a bit spoilt, really, and a bit too demanding? Because let's face it, we finished fourth in the table, um, one of the highest points totals we've ever had in, um, you know, in, in our history. Got the playoff final where, OK, you know, we were, you know, comprehensively outclassed by Brentford. But, um, you know, I think the vast majority of neutrals looking at that situation would say that's been a really good season for Swansea. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that makes us spoilt because if you ask me whether I enjoyed Potter's season or Cooper's seasons more, I would tell you Potter 100 times out of 100. And we obviously finished, you know, just above mid-table in Potter. Um, and and I, 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 I refer back to what I talk about every so often, which is uh, when I put a poll out when we got relegated in the Premier League and asked whether or not we'd want an immediate return to the Premier League at uh, any means possible or... Um, you know, a top half finish, playing the Swansea way, and the, the, that option won the poll by an absolute landslide. I think we just want to enjoy our Saturday afternoons, and if that means you lose a few games because um, you're playing this, you know, attacking football, but maybe you have a, a sucker punch. We were incredibly unlucky. We did have a little bit of a soft underbelly, but we were incredibly unlucky under Potter, and the sort of luck which we rarely saw. With Cooper, I can't. You can't put it all down to luck. I know, but I mean, we did have a lot of games where I thought, how on earth have we contrived to lose that game? Because we were just a joy to watch, and I just want to feel that way. I want to feel again that we are a joy to watch. So, um, spoiled in the sense of I want to enjoy the football. Yeah, maybe, but not necessarily. I don't demand better than you know. Fourth place, fourth place finishes. I don't demand us romp the league next year. All I want is to see players express themselves, enjoy themselves, and play with a smile on their faces. And um, too often last season, it was a chore. It was a chore to watch us win, lose, or draw. And um, 
can't argue with the results. I can't. I I won't disagree with anything Steve says about it because the results are there for everyone to see, and people look at it going, can't argue with him when he's got results. I mean, I get that, but oh god, it was hard. It was hard to watch. It feels like okay, we're going to win this game, but can I just skip to the end to see the celebrations at the end, not have to put up with the 95 minutes in between? I'd watch Swans last season on highlights only, and they would be very quick because there weren't that many of them. Um, But, you know, yes, maybe I'm spoiled because I just want to enjoy my football. But, I mean, people look for different things. Some people want, some people say it's a results business and it's a legitimate argument. But I say it's an entertainment industry and you pay good money to get a season ticket or to watch it on a stream or whatever we've had to do. And um, ultimately, you don't want to be bored shitless. Steve, I, was, I saw somebody say on Twitter the other day, better the devil you know, you know, that Steve Cooper. Oh, yes, I saw that. He's not, you know, particularly, the football is not entertaining. Let's be honest, it's, it's, it can be, as Matt said, a chore to watch the Swans. And, and it the makes Steve. my eyes bleed. <laughs> there we go. But, but, you know, he has got us to two top six finishes. Um, we've never had to worry about relegation under him. Um, he's always got done a, you know, pretty consistent job of um, results wise. Um, I mean, is there a risk that, you know, the people like you and Matt and others who, who say, do you know what? You know, I, I, I wouldn't have minded if he'd, if he'd left for either Fulham or, or Palace. Is there a, a risk that, you know, oh, be careful what you wish for. You could get somebody in who's, um, you know, tried to tried to play a bit more expansively, but um, doesn't get the results, and suddenly we're in um, we're in a bit of trouble. Is is that a risk that you would be willing to take, basically? Yeah, it is. Uh, qu- quite simply, because yeah, you 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 can say obviously you could always appoint to someone that's that's not good enough for the job. But I mean, if you do your due diligence and everything like that, then you know there's there are people out there that can play the way that we want to play. There's you know, you look at someone like Russell Martin and MK Dons, for example, and his his team had like the third highest possession in Europe last season, for example. And um, you know, I know they they did finish in mid table, but I always think if you decide to play that way, like it does sometimes take a little bit of time to sort of come to fruition. So you, you do just have to be patient, but you know, you do see the rewards of it in the end. I, I honestly believe if Graham Potter had stayed for another season, we really would have seen the rewards of what he was doing because we. I mean, a lot of the home games at the end of that first season, they were just an absolute joy to watch. And I just think sometimes it takes time. I mean, I look at Ian Ebert, the Bolton manager, and they started really badly in League Two. But the, the philosophy then, as they became uh, better at it, the style of play, in the end, they finished third and they went up. It, it just takes time sometimes. You've got to be patient. But at the same time, as long as they can see things going in the right direction, that's all I ask for. But yeah, if... If we were down the bottom, it would be a concern. But if we're in the middle, I, I do just think that's the way to go. And you will improve then over a period of time. Whereas I think what we have done, we sort of got a bit lucky. And we seem to have taken the minimal chances that we've created. But I don't think it's like sustainable in the, in the longer term. And I always say as well, if you play bad football, you have to win. Because if you don't win, you have got nothing. So at least if you play good football then you know, you've always got that to fall back on, really. And also, yeah. to, to, to back up what Steve's saying there, is um, could you have seen, if we'd beaten Brentford at Wembley, could you have seen our style um, providing 
us with any sort of success in the Premier League. I think we were on a hide into nothing. Um, yes, everyone knows we're skint and we can't afford to go splashing big money and Cooper didn't have the, the out-and-out striker he, he craved and stuff. But our style of play wasn't conducive to good football anyway. So when we got, if we got to the Premier League, I mean, just look at when we got there with Rodgers. It, it felt at the time that this is our moment. This is our... And we talked about this, Gitto, just before the playoff final, if you recall, when we were talking about the lack of anticipation, perhaps, because we felt like if we got the win against Brentford, we'd have shithoused it. And it didn't feel almost legitimate. Whereas at the time under Rodgers, it felt like, God, everything, the infrastructure, the football, the players, everything's in place. If we can just get over this last hurdle, this is this is the golden generation for Swansea. And this is the moment. And obviously, the history proves that. Whereas, irrespective of what happened against Brentford, I feel like we were in for 10 months of pain. Uh, financial security for the Swans, which would have been great. But ultimately almost certain relegation next year. And 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 obviously, I, I believe that, that Cooper would have been out of a job by November because of how dismal it would have been. I still believe, by the way, that Cooper will be out of a job by November, but that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> it is interesting, though. I, I, like, I, I'm pretty fascinated by fans' opinions of this. I'm in the camp of... I, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm. I guess I'm glad that Cooper's staying because I think, you know, stability is underrated, and I, you know, he has got us to two top six positions. He's got the results, even if it's not been good to watch. And you know, especially as we're going through another kind of difficult summer, um, I, you know, it's it's be- let's not rock the boat too much, and it's it's best to keep him rather than having to go through another managerial search and start from scratch um, once again. Even though I'm. You know, I, I, I'm not entirely confident that he'll be able to build on, on what we did last season. I've, I'll be totally honest. Um, but having said that, um, I, I, if he had gone to either of those jobs, and I'm not I'm not certain how real, how how hotly he was being pursued by either of those, how much of a realistic contender he was for either of those jobs. But say, say he had left, I would not have been particularly upset if I'm being totally honest I think and and I think speaking to a lot of fans I think there are quite a lot of people who felt the same way probably didn't actively want him to go but wouldn't have been too devastated if he had gone um that's you know there are other fans out there definitely a lot of fans out there who would have been gutted if he'd signed for Palace and um um or, or Fulham and you know we never pretend to speak on behalf of all fans on this podcast um but it is interesting to look at the kind of mix of emotions in uh, response to the news that he probably will be staying for uh, for the coming season steve cooper now by the way swansea's longest serving manager since roberto martinez um if he defies matt's prediction and lasts uh the next season he will be our longest serving manager since john orleans which um does tell you something about how, how frequently we change managers at this club. Um, moving on to somebody who uh, unfortunately has left the Swans. No surprises here. Uh, since our last podcast, it has been announced that Andre Ayew won't be coming back. Um, Steve, like I said, no no surprises. But um, how um, how much of an impact do you think it's going to have um, on our um, preparations for next season? And, and how much? What well what what can we do to to sort of mitigate that um that that blow um 
it's it's going to be difficult, isn't it? I mean, he was by far our, our biggest goal threat, really. Um, as you say, not a surprise that he's um he's gone. I suppose we have to become maybe a bit of a more rounded side. I mean, you have to question now whether the the formation that we were playing, you know, especially the the wing back one, um, whether that's going to to maybe serve us as well now that AU was gone. Um, so we maybe need to look at more of the four three three that we played and more at the end of last season, or maybe a four two three one type thing. With you know, I, th- I think the the issue with AU was always that where do you play him really? But he he has to play because of the you know his abilities is was a lot better than a lot of the other players that we had. So I think the more rounded team is probably where we we need to look at really. But it's going to be difficult, and I mean we've. We've lost our, our biggest goal threat, really, and we and, and let's be honest about it, our goal threat wasn't that big either, was it? So to lose <laughs> him on a free, not great. Um, a bit concerning. Um, I'm sure there'll be there'll be new arrivals uh, shortly. There's, there's been one already, hasn't there? But um, yeah, it's 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 certainly not what we needed. But I think you know. I'd be amazed if there was anybody uh, out there that didn't see that one coming. Uh, I think it was all pretty obvious that he was going to be off if we didn't go up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we all expected it as soon as we lost to Wembley, didn't we? Um, I mean, Steve, stick with you for the time being. What what do you think will be his, the legacy of his uh, second spell at the Liberty? Um, it's a funny one, isn't it, with um, with Andre? I mean, you. You look at it, he was obviously signed for a club record fee to keep us in the Prem. Didn't score a single goal, we went down. Um, and then he was shipped off on loan. We didn't see him and you're thinking, what's going to happen now? They wanted to get rid of him again when he came back. But I think because we'd had money for other people and the offers on the table were great, we ended up keeping him. To be fair, he has done you know a decent job over the last couple of years. But the underlying truth is... It was a bad signing. You can't look at it any other way. That signing has cost us about 30 million quid. And at the end of the day, it hasn't paid off. Like, you could argue we'd have got away with it if we'd won the playoff final and gone up. And maybe we could have extended it. I'm sure we would have had to have dropped his wages, but he maybe would have considered then staying if we were in the Prem. And um, obviously, even on that slightly less wage. So, yeah, it's it's tough to criticise. It's not so much his fault, the, the money that was paid. But... You know, you can't say it was a successful signing. There's absolutely no way, is there? Mm-hmm. That's my perspective, if I'm being honest. I still, still think he'll probably be remembered. Well, he'll be remembered for two things. For, you know, his contribution over the last two seasons, but also the overriding fact that it was still, a, a, a you know, a really daft signing, which which did not pay off in any way. Um, uh, Matt, you know, how... It's looking for positives out of this situation. I would say, like like Steve said, we struggle to find a position for IU. I would also say that IU um, often kind of the struggles to link up with with teammates. But he never seems to be on the same wavelength as them. He um, you know he tries things which which his teammates just don't don't read etc. And his individual quality is phenomenal, but he doesn't always um, manage to to get the best out of the players around him. Am I just clutching straws when hoping that possibly now that he's gone, we'll we'll actually see the team work together a bit better now that now that he isn't there and that they'll actually have to you know find different partnerships. And I don't think so. I think you I think you're spot on. I I'll be honest with you. I I think um, that even last season uh, you you could not make the argument that I was worth his wages at all. Um, you know he. 
even if he got us promoted, it would have been a get-out-of-jail-free card, and that's it. Um, he hasn't really had money's worth out of him. Um, I, I, I guess he had moments um, of individual brilliance, and you know he was our main man, and I'll give him that. But as you say, his link-up play um, left wanting. You know, him and Jamal Lowe seemed allergic to passing to each other. And and so that left us wanting a lot for the, you know, when you're up front and you need that. We basically, when we got the ball to our strikers, they needed to be the one to have a shot because there was no pass and move between the two of them. Um, so that was, you know, a big issue. And obviously goals were at a premium anyway. So I, I'm not looking at it as a negative. It was a, it was a, you know, a noose around our neck for the last three years, having these enormous wages crippling us when we had to um you know we were we were letting in water fast and we needed to get rid of everything and um he was one we couldn't shift so i thought last season was an opportunity to get out of jail but i certainly wasn't looking at it as a as a, a, a you know this you know this will be a, a cracking it'll turn out to be a cracking signing if we go up because he essentially took the place of you know four players <laughs> Uh, wages-wise, that we could have had and made our squad a lot stronger as a result. So, um, you know, it's in the whole, I'm I'm not negative about it. I think his professionalism for coming back and, and applying himself and running himself into the ground so often for us was to be, you know, is to be commended. Um, but listen, there's a lot of things I would do for 80 grand a week, Gitto, and I don't want to share him on this podcast. I think he's, got, he's a guy that um that had a lot of money coming in and uh and 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 in the end decided he would he would put in a shift for it but we have got to be looking at this as we're better off financially and in terms of being able to you know build a build a bigger and better team as a result of his wages being released well if you do want to find out what matt would do for 80 grand you can contribute to (laughs) fans account uh um well, there, we have um, got one player in at least um, with the aim of uh, replacing him. Um, although maybe that's a little bit unfair to uh, expect him to to, t- to fill those massive boots. Um, Kyle Joseph, um, Steve, five goals in 18 games for Wigan last season. Uh, we do love a young Scott at this club. We do love buying uh, young Scottish uh, under 19, under 21 internationals. Um I mean, like I said, five goals in uh, uh, in eighteen games for a Wigan team who uh, were struggling throughout the season, basically at the at the foot of uh, uh, well, at the bottom end of League One. Um, I mean, I'll be honest; I haven't seen anything of him, hadn't heard of him before we signed him. Um, do Do you have expectations based on what you've heard and read about him that that he will play a big part this season? As Manuel once said, I know nothing. Um, what what can we say? Really, I mean, it's, it's a youngster. He's highly rated. Um, we've got to be patient. I, I don't think he's going to be first choice. Um, uh, I wouldn't have thought at this stage to maybe signing him for the year after, really. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that he'll he'll spring a surprise on us and end up um, becoming more of a regular. But I I don't see that um, at this stage. I mean, he, he wasn't a regular for Wigan, you know, as as those appearances suggest, really. So. You know, we'll um, we'll see. I think what we really need is is to bring players in that are going to be ready to play straight away. I mean, we've lost quite a few players now, haven't we? So we need 
play, starters is what I would say. I'm hoping that there's not going to be too many of those um, signings, to be honest. Nothing personal at all, but I, I really just think that we need to bring in players that are going to start. I mean, you're looking already now, aren't you? Obviously, Woodman has gone. Are we going to bring a keeper in? I know we've got two, but at the same time, are either of them up to be a number one? It's it's up for debate. Gray, we've lost. We're not going to bring in anyone as good as him. I wouldn't have thought. I think it just isn't realistic. I mean, that's a tough one. Hurahan's gone. He wasn't brilliant at times, but where's the creativity from midfield going to come? We weren't really playing with wide men. But are we going to, and do we need to bring any in? Routledge obviously isn't going to play for certainly until the new year. One of the thoughts, so he's that's we're a man down in that situation. You know, we need to bring in players that are, are going to start. That that's the way that I'm looking at it. And we probably need a striker as well, don't we? Uh, well, one striker who uh, does look likely to sign Matt is uh, Joel Pirro, um, who has a little bit more experience than. Uh, uh, Kyle Joseph, he has played uh, quite a number of games for PSV in the Dutch league. Seems to have uh, fallen out of favour there. Um, it seems he, he, apparently he's uh, passed a medical with the Swans, and it seems like we're going to be spending money on him, which is a bit of a rarity for the Swans uh, recently. Suggests that we're expecting him to um, to be a big player for us. Um, I mean, we've got our hopes up in the past for. Dutch players uh, uh, joining the club who uh, possibly haven't um, hit the hit the heights that we were expecting. The last one came from PSV as well, and that was Luciano Narsing. Um, bit unfair to brandish the whole. We we have also had some very good players from uh, from the Netherlands, of course. Um, but um, it is one of those leagues you never really know what you're going to be getting. Um, so is it a bit of a risk that we're we're spending cash at a time when? We know money is tight at the club. Yeah, and this to me, this plays into what we were chatting about just now with with Andre. There's obviously a lot of cash that was tied up in 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 just keeping him at the club, you know. Um, and this doesn't seem to be an insignificant amount of money either, you know. There seems to be a decent amount of money being being bandied about, a rumoured to be bandied about anyway for this. No doubt it'll come out as undisclosed, but um, uh, yeah. Like you said, really, we talked before we started recording that the Eredivisie is, is is a mixed bag and it really depends on how well you've scouted the player because it's the player rather than how they've done in that league. You know, you, you know when you look at the, the previous, you know, success stories and stuff like that, it's the player that tends to, to shine out of it because we have had um, great players that have gone on to achieve great things from there and we've had massively underwhelming signings from there. So um hope he signed based on, you know, extensive scouting. And that's where I hope, you know, the likes of the um, you know, the Andy Scott appointment will really come into fruition and stuff. And um would you know, I want us to see now uh him start the legacy for us that he had built over many years for Brentford and um and, and I had that Sorry, go on. Steve Steve said there are a couple of the areas that he feels, you know, we need to look at and, and strengthen. What what for you are the areas that, that should be a priority in this transfer window? Well look we look at this now, right? We're spending money on this Piro guy. We've got a whole piece of starter because as for Carl Joseph, he's young, inexperienced, not got many games. Uh Jamal Lowe says um that he's a player that knows where the back of the net is. Well, we've got one of them. His name's Liam Cullen. He's he's young, he's inexperienced, but boy, do we know he knows where the back of the net is. And and I think, feel like if he's not going to be a regular player this year, 
then he needs to desperately get a use a full full use uh, f- football somewhere um, because there's a player in there ready to score goals at whatever level he finds himself at. So, um, you know, that is something he's got to look at. We've got a lot of youngsters, haven't we? When you look at Pirot, is let me just quickly check. I think he's quite young, isn't he? He's like 20, 21. Um, 21. So he's 21. You've got Whitaker. You've got um, Cullen. So you, your three strikers are very young. Jamal Lowe, I should expect now, will move on to the wing because um, I don't think he's ever really been a striker, as he? God, you know, he gives it his all. But um, uh, we have to have to get a striker that is going to be our focal point that he is going to be playing every week. We can't just gamble on on youngsters and we hope one of them starts turning into a, a gem. So that's a priority because um, we just don't have it. Uh, secondly, creativity. Absolutely need creativity um, in the team. It was something that was glaringly obvious, whether it's Steve Cooper or any other manager, we're going to struggle to create with these set of players. We just don't have it in the team. You know, you've got Matt Grimes, you've got Corey Smith, you've got Jay Fulton. There ain't a lot of assists in that team. So you need to really um, look at that area of the pitch as well. Hurahan was a, a bit of a flop, if you ask me, but, you know, that was the intention there of plugging that gap. And, um, yeah, so we're going to have to replace Mark Gehi, that's obvious. Um, but we, we're not, like, thread there at the back so I wouldn't say necessarily that um, we need a starter in there but we certainly need an option and uh, I'm up for giving Stephen Bender the number one shirt I know he's been out for a, for a decent length of time now injury wise but that's up for the club to decide if they think he's ready but he had a good year at Swindon and um, and I feel like if he doesn't get regular game time for us soon he will look to move because he's had it now, and I feel like players, once they start getting first-team football, they don't want to go back to being uh, you know, shoved in reserve-team football anymore. So um, it may be our, one of our last chances to, to show faith in him and, um, and go from there, because that really defines the spine of the team then, um, if we get those positions sorted. Uh, who knows? Pirot may be the man. He may be the man. Um, like I say, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag from, uh, from Haaland, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, we have been linked with uh, one or two other players. Liam Walsh, who's been released by Bristol City. Thomas Henry, uh, who's um, scored quite a few goals in Belgium. Um, but neither of those are looking particularly concrete at the moment. Could change, obviously. But um, at the moment, I think that's just uh, uh, sort of transfer speculation. We won't go too uh, too much into that. Um, one thing we do know for sure is that not only do the Swans have a new kit, they also have a new badge. And... Um, I, I, do you know what? Last season, I remember the new kits um, got a, a sort of universally positive response um, when they were first released. I think it's fair to say this year's response surpasses that even. I mean, the club have nailed this, haven't they, Steve? Yeah, they have. Um, I'm very impressed. I've got to be honest. The new badge is like proper old school. I think everyone, you know, on the whole seems to approve of it. And um, yeah, I like the home shirt. I always think a black away shirt is is best for us. I mean, a swan is is either black or white. Um, they always just seem to work well. Last year's away kit, I would like to repeat, was absolutely horrendous. Arguably, the worst swans kit of all time. I know, I know, like you know, taste is subjective, etc. But if you like that kit, I have no words for you. I'm sorry, you ju- you just 
you, your taste is wrong. It's wrong. Uh, my, my mate said it was aimed at women and kids. <sighs> Possibly, because I, I thought it was hideous, I'll be honest. Plus, yeah, it was terrible. It was, I'd expect that to be sold on a shit shirt website. It didn't even like function as an away kit either because it was too similar to, to if we were playing against a team in white, you couldn't tell which team was which. I mean, I remember the opening game against Preston. I genuinely struggled to work out which which player which players were Swans and which players were Preston players. It was uh, like functionally awful, and in terms of taste and and just far be it for me to discuss fashion, but but fashion wise, it it was pretty hideous. And I'm hoping that we've learned uh, a lesson from that. Yeah, my cousin wore it to the playoff final and said, oh, I had to buy it. It was only a 10. I was like, if you paid me a 10, I still wouldn't wear it. Like, it's, it is that bad. So, yeah, they've had big improvement this year that, uh, for the black away shirt, I think. Um, yeah, no complaints from me. Are you going to be buying one of them? Possibly. I'll, uh, I'll have a think. I've just bought a couple of retro ones over the last couple of months. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to buy another one, but I'll, uh, I'll think about it. Or I might just be one of those cheap skates that waits until the end of the season and gets it for a tenner. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what, what about you, Matt? Are you, are you getting one? Uh, and you're, well, your kids are getting to the age now where they're going to start wanting uh, football kits. Uh, are they going to be uh, kitted out in in retro swan shirts? As long as as long as they don't do, um, as long as they don't change the. I'm seeing if what the what the child child range is like, but. Um, if they're if they're like exactly the same as the adults one, then definitely because the away kit in particular, I think is stunning. I do think like even like the 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 zags zigzags and whatnot on it is just like lovely, and the badge is just it's Swansea, isn't it? There's copper in there as well, which obviously goes back with the Swans history and stuff. Everything about it was like one of those things you go. I know it's one that you've created this badge you now as a as an anniversary treat or whatever, uh, but can we keep it? Because this, I think everyone agrees, is much better than our current badge or our, our previous badge. So I don't see, I, I don't see that we should actually go back to it at the end of the season. Um, it's been a masterstroke, isn't it? This, whatever, well, you know, wherever this design has uh, come to fruition, you know, uh, with Joma or whatnot, it's been, um, it's been universally approved by the Swans faithful. So, uh, you know, it white home, black away is is always a winner. Yeah, whoever in the Swans marketing department came up with this one, um, pat on the back. They've done brilliantly. I mean, Steve, where do you think this ranks among sort of uh, Swans kits uh, of your time, all time? Um, and which which one is your favourite over the years, home home or away? Um, it's a good question, isn't it? Um, I think this is definitely in the, I'd say in the top five, probably top five for home and top five for away. So... That's um, they're quite high compliments. Um, the number ones for me are actually both from the same season. So it's the 2003-4. Where, so the away shirt was the legendary black, first black one we've had. That's that's never going to get better, I don't think. The home one was the one where there was like a black trim and there was a collar. And on the back of the collar, it said the Swans. That for me was... Uh, I think that's the best Swans kit since I've been going down there. I think that away kit was possibly my first Swans kit. Um, it was the baggiest piece of clothing I've ever worn. It was, yeah, I've still got it now, and it's great. It, it still fits you probably, does it? Yeah. I, I mean, they were, they were massive. That, that was at that stage where t-shirt football shirts went from being like, like parachutes 
to being skin tight, you know, it was around about that era that it started the transition, but that those shirts were, were definitely like before that um, switch was made with the Swans. I mean, Matt, I, I agree with Steve. I think those those shirts from that season are right up there. Um, I can just see Lee Trundle wearing that wearing them now. It's uh, and brings back great memories. I mean, for for you, but for your your favourite shirt from your time watch, watching the Swans, and and where does this one? How does this one compare? Yeah, I um I completely agree uh, with Steve, and uh, and I and thinking back to um that sort of era as well. You know, you got your your trundles and your Paul Corners and whatnot with your 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 collars, um, you know, your black collars, white shirt and stuff like that. And uh, maybe there's a bit of nostalgia in there. But I do think Swans should just be in white and black and 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 not get too too fancy about it. And um, the argument of what short colour and sock colour we should wear is another one for people. But I think. Generally speaking, I think if you go with white shirts at home, black shirts away. And I do think, you know, this one is a contender because of everything when you put it in there. And you've got the badge as well. And the shirts are really nice to look at. And I'd like to can't wait to see them in person. But um, they could be up there. You could be looking back in a few years' time and say the uh, the shirt of 21-22 is one of the best we've had in our lifetime, hopefully. <laughs> Do, do you know what, when clubs do this and bring that out like kind of um, commemorative um, shirts or, or you know to mark some kind of anniversary? They're always spot on, aren't they? Like I, we did it um, for our centenary year um, with the kind of gold trim, which which was absolutely stunning. The Real Madrid kit, people, you know, a lot of fans called it. Um, but like you know, I, I remember Arsenal the season they left Highbury. Um, their home kit, like the the whole burgundy one, was absolutely stunning. I think Southampton brought one out a couple of years back with with like a sash, which was really nice as well. Like, it, there's always something about like a commemorative um, shirt. Clubs very rarely miss the mark where they where they do this. They they do tend to get it right, and um, they've um, well they've got it right with this one. Um, Let's look ahead as well to uh, the the season now. I know it's a month away, but the fixtures have been announced. And uh, Steve, we start the season away at Blackburn. The big question, are we as Swansea fans going to be there in attendance? What do you think? Um, I think we will be there. Um, and I'm quite pleased that it, it's a Blackburn away because I always say with an opening day that what I want is an away game that isn't usually appealing, that is usually a little bit further than a lot of people want to go. But then more people go because it's the opening day. They put the effort in. And this one should be one where a lot more people go because obviously it's been such a long time. So it's a big away end. I think we're going to take quite a lot up there. I, I honestly, as things stand, I think England's going to be normal. So I think we will be there. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Swans get home games are restricted. That's my gut instinct at the moment. So, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for Blackburn that we'll be there. And if we are, bring it on, because I think everyone's going to be massively up for it. So let, let's keep our fingers crossed uh, over the next few weeks that things pan out as in England as expected and then things lift. And then I think if that happens and this goes well, Wales will not be far behind. So, yeah, I, I think we will be at Blackburn. That's my uh, opinion. I certainly hope I'm right. That away end in Blackburn, Matt, holds a lot of people. I think it holds around about five thousand people. Um, so no, seven thousand if it's, you get the upper and the lower. Oh, I mean, 
you know, even when, when you look at that, even if they do keep um, social distancing and, and make sure that, you know, they, they space people out, there's still a potential there for a good away following, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I, you know, I, I've grown into be a grumpy old cynic and I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I, I, I hope that Steve is bang on with it because there has to be a time. There has to be a time when you say, look, we've we've done what we can do here. We we people have been vaccinated and, and we've got um, low hospitalization numbers now, which proves that even though cases are rising, that, that people aren't getting ill or seriously ill. So I think there's got to be a, a cutoff point where you say now the benefits of, of allowing people to mingle again far outweigh the risks. And um, to me that this is this is the time. But then, you know, they said it in June. So and, and it, right up until a few days before we were supposed to open everything up, they, they pulled the plug on it. So um, like I say, I, hold, I, I won't hold my breath on it. But if Steve's right, then I can see us. And then there's no social distancing. Then there's there's no telling how many people will want to go there because is an especially because Wales certainly won't be I don't think Wales will be anything like the position that England will be in so once word gets about then a lot of people will want tickets to that game just the opportunity to go back and feel like you're at a football match again um, so yeah it'll be great it'll be great and I'm sure it'll be uh, it'll be well attended and uh, let's let's hope there's not a need for social distancing and, and, and mask wearing if you dare to stand up or sit down or whatever you have to do these days and um, and we can get back to some sense of uh, enjoyment and normality um, it, I, as if you needed any kind of excuse to get excited for the return of football and, and fans being allowed in for regular league matches um, two of Swansea's uh, opening four games have been uh, switched um, due to uh, uh, due to TV, and one of them sees our first uh, home game of the season against Sheffield United shifted to 8pm on a Saturday night. I mean, that's got the potential, Steve, for a good old day, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it has. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who are going to be in too bad a state, if I'm honest with you. If, uh, if things are normal by then, with it being 8 o'clock, it's probably a little bit too late. But um, yeah, um, it's, I suppose it's not a bad kickoff time, is it, in that sense? I think. If you're away from home, it's that's really not great. If you're if you're honest, but uh, if you're at home, it's uh, it's quite a decent one. So, yeah, I can see a lot of um, you know drunken people staggering around if things are normal by then. But debatable in Wales whether uh, we'll be at the full crowd part. I think. I'll be honest. After a year and a half in a pandemic, I think two pints will be enough to floor me. Um, Matt, uh, the other game that's changed is uh, the away game at Bristol City. Not quite as good. Changed to uh, quarter to eight on uh, uh, on a Friday night. But I mean, again, if there are away fans allowed into that match, that would be a fantastic occasion, wouldn't it? Yeah, don't worry about it. Steve's planned like eight trips for the start of the season i genuinely <laughs> think he's gonna bankrupt me and um and use up all my annual leave from work because uh i think he's got every possible game everything covered um from now until about november to be honest with you i was just saying to him earlier on i've got no chance i can do half of these but uh keep me involved in all the plans because some of them i'm gonna have to pick and choose for and i'll uh, do that accordingly but um it's gonna be um 
you know, if you're going up to Bristol and it's a quarter to eight on a Friday night, you know, you may find yourself uh, booking a hotel and uh, making a night of it or making a weekender of it, whatever, and uh, and see where it goes from there. But, um, yeah, I think anything really, isn't it? If we can get there and we can go there and it not be like all social distance and stuff, then um, you're going to have a good time. It's, 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 there's no other way about it. Yeah, I, th- I think the most important thing at the moment is that we just get fans back in and, and just, you know, get get things back to normal. It's been so long since we saw full crowds in uh, matches. And that's one of the things we have seen in some of these Euros matches is what a difference it makes to the occasion when you do have a full house there and when you do see limbs, as people say, just bouncing around the stands. Um, it's something that we've missed so badly. Um, just for anybody who hasn't seen the fixtures, I mean, our opening six games are Blackburn away, Sheffield United at home, Stoke City home, Bristol City away, uh, Preston North End away, and then Hull City home. Not sure how much you can read into those fixtures at this stage. We're still a month to go to the season, but there we go. Uh, the season ends for the Swans at home against QPR. And, uh, well, the two most important fixtures, uh, the two of the first ones that anybody ever looks at, the Cardiff City games. Uh, one of them will be on October 16th. That's the home one at the Liberty. And uh, the away one uh, is uh, April 2nd. Steve, any, any other fixtures on that list that, that you always keep an eye out for when they come out? And um, are there any ones in this year's fixture that look particularly appealing? Um, Not massively, if, if I'm honest. I mean, I think we're all just happy just to go to... To any of them, um, I don't think, I think obviously Cardiff stands out, doesn't it? As as it always does and always will, if it's on the list. Um, I mean, there's not like a Leeds in there or something like that, or a Newcastle. So, I mean, there's not like that other one that takes my attention. Um, a little bit disappointed with the London ones again. I think Fulham's on a midweek. I think QPR is the weekend before Christmas, and Millwall's on Boxing Day. I mean. That's really not great. It's, it's always nice to have uh, you know some decent London ones, but I feel like they're they're not great. If I'm um, honest with you, um, but I can't see a, a great deal others like stand out. I think I'm just looking at those first few really and just thinking, bring it on. Absolutely, Matt. And any other ones there for you that stand out that um, you love? Steve will have, Steve's definitely going to Middlesbrough. He's not going to Middlesbrough. He's going to Newcastle, and that's a weekender. That's a definite weekender for a start. Um, any excuse to go up to Newcastle, I think. Um, it doesn't even have to be. Do you know what? I'd go to Newcastle if we were playing Bristol City, too, honestly, because it doesn't really need an excuse to go up there and, and make a weekend draw. It's just a great place, isn't it? So, um, yeah. He's underplayed that a bit, Gitto. I know he's keen on the Middlesbrough game, even though it's going to be absolutely... I, I just think I'm cursed with Middlesbrough because it's the one ground I've never been to. And obviously, I was meant to go. And then we went into a lockdown, so... Um, you jinxed yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I just, it's weird because Middlesbrough has eluded me for years. It's like the, the one ground in like the top two divisions that I've, I've not been to. And it's been like that for ages. I've been to pretty much everywhere else, but... Um, yeah, basically. But um, I suppose the other one is Blackpool. That, that's one to look forward to, isn't it? That's uh, March uh, 12th. Unlikely to be short where they think. Um, but um, Yeah, so that's slightly annoying. I was hoping Blackpool might be more later in the season or, or the start. But Blackburn and Preston are not far from Blackpool. So, uh, yeah, it's not like it's uh, ruled out. No, absolutely not. Well, it, do you know what? It's great that we can actually look ahead to fixtures and actually... 
kind of dream about getting back to them in person and um, oh, hearing that atmosphere again. I mean, wow, how we have missed it. Well, hopefully we're not just uh, getting overexcited here and hopefully we will be able to uh, get back to watching Swansea games and uh, singing full pelt for 90 minutes uh, once again. Um, thank you very much for joining us again for this podcast. It's been a bit of a mixed one, really. We've we've discussed a bit of everything, but hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we will probably be uh, another couple of weeks before we record another one, unless there is some major breaking news in the meantime. Uh, but until then, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>